It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Nile and Nine podcast. It's myself, Niall and Andrea here. How are you doing, Andrea? I'm very good, Niall. How are you? Good. I'm feeling good. And I, <laughs> I think there's a good reason why. Um, it's an indulgent episode for me this week. We get to talk about one of my favorite bands. Mm. My favorite bands. We're going to talk about Steely Dan on this week's episode. And Steely Dan special. Probably the best thing to do is start with a bit of music, right? Why don't we do Go that? Here's, here's Reeling in the Years. Why not? Straight in with a chorus there that's really in the years, of course, from Steely Dan. And uh, I guess many Irish people know that song from the uh, TV show of the same name as well. Although I think they use a weird, different version of that song in the title. Yeah, it, do, it does sound like, What is going on strange. with the, the version of they're using? It's the know. version it's of the like song the, I'm much more familiar with is the just the yeah, one from the show. It's almost like one of those weird, like... Uh, covers that they couldn't get like the clearance for the original recording maybe and so they're using a cover of it but it's <laughs> as close as possible yeah it sounds a bit like mm. that so yeah Steely Dan look we've talked about Steely Dan here and there um on the podcast they're often mentioned um but I think it's just I really wanted to just spend some time mm. 
because we were driving down to Galway a few weeks ago and I put on CD Dan the car and you're like, oh, I must really have a listen to them properly. Mm. So, Andre, you've been listening to CD Dan for the last few days anyway. I have. How yeah. Is it, how are you feeling about CD Dan? <laughs> I sort of lived in pure ignorance of Steely Dan for basically most of my life. And then over the past, I mean, I knew of Steely Dan, but it wasn't a band that I ever kind of felt um, inspired to go and like check out in any kind of meaningful way. Um, I'm not sure why, but anyway, uh, then I, uh, for some reason, and maybe you'll be able to shed some light on this, all of a sudden over the past few years, just all of my friends love Steely Dan now and like but it's not that they love Steely Dan now it's that they always have I've just never heard anyone talk about it it's like millennials like one said to another like hey do you like Steely Dan and then they were like yeah and then it just spread and it was suddenly okay or good to like Steely Dan so I was like okay there's there's a band here with like a pretty significant back catalogue that I don't know. Um, and that's always a very exciting prospect for me. So I have, yes, you've given me some kind of choice picks. I'm not sure how many songs were on that um, on that initial playlist you sent me. 20 or yeah. so maybe? And I think I, I, I definitely get the gist from it. Um, friend of the show, Craig Fitzpatrick, <laughs> did send me a studio dance playlist before kind of late last year, I think as well, which I listened to and got the gist again and I was like yeah okay I get this but I tend to find it difficult to find a scenario except for you and I driving yeah. to Galway um <laughs> in which I would kind of really meaningfully sit down and and listen to them so my role in this podcast is very much uh of the um of the ignorant but curious um very so nice. I'll I'll be popping in asking Niall some questions I will be the representative of all of you out there who don't know what the fuss is about Steely Dan I I will be <laughs> your guide and for everybody else there's Niall <laughs> yeah well I mean I think a lot of it comes to down da- it comes down to you know there are we will get into more about that about the generational thing and like mm. certainly for me personally it's like music um that my dad loved and I think there's a lot of generational stuff going on there so I think yeah, we'll delve into that a bit further uh, further on. Um, I want to also look at a bit of later on is the samples that um, people have, uh, you, well, the Steely Dan samples that people have used in their music, which is originally where I had heard Steely Dan really, other than my dad's like actual record collection. Um, so who are Steely Dan? They are Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. They are a band who were really active from 1970 to 1980 originally. Um, what is the, like their, their music is a, they marry pop songs with jazz and rock with minor chord progressions, non-standard time signatures, melodies that were complex, well-constructed, but also full of hooks. So I think they always have that push and pull for me of like, it's jazz, but it's also pop, but it's Mm. also maybe rhythm and blues. And it's also a bit rock music. Like, I mean, and it's all kind of done with a wink, right? It's all kind of like, um, yeah, I think they're just. Like, I don't mean so much lyrically, but like as in the the jazz stuff is it can get really hammy at times in terms of like how much they're leaning into it, and I think that that's done kind of um, purposefully, you know, playfully. Rather. See, I don't think their music is overindulgent because I think they're such good play. No, honestly, I I really don't. Mm. I mean, yes, there's lots of solos and stuff like that, but it's all in service of the song. I feel like there's a razor sharp control that that band this band have. 
um, and a swerve that makes these songs so enduring after so long. Mm. Um, they're very tightly constructed. Um, you can almost take 10 seconds of any of the big like 20 hits that I sent you on that playlist and you're like, you could turn that into a hook in C. There's For like sure. hooks galore on these things. Mm. And that's what I think is the enduring appeal about them. They're, it's a jazz band who are well-versed in pop music and, and writing big pop hooks as well, but also like it's the sophistication of it. It's like, mm. it's even easy to overlook the sophistication of the architecture of what a Stevie Dan song is. And, and they make it sound so effortless, which I think is one of the reasons why it's so enjoyable for me to listen to. And yeah, reeling in the years, a song like that is like, so that's a song that became like an in-joke for me and my pals like 15 years ago, <laughs> just mm. because of, it's so ridiculous in, in, in a way. Mm. And I think the older you get, the, you kind of do probably soften a bit. You kind of go, well, oh, my dad loved this song. I lo- uh, And, you know, you're kind of like, the ridiculousness kind of goes out the window a bit. Sure. And that's because these songs endure because they're so good, you know. And let's play a bit of a song called uh, Black Cow just to show you uh, what I'm Like we've done an episode before on Yacht Rock and stuff like that as well. This is predates that, but it does have some of that kind of flavor to it. Like the nice keys, the kind of billowy effects of the music. There's lots of brass. I do kind of feel like Stevie Dan is like reharmed Yacht Rock in a way. And I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, like I love jazz reharmonizations of pop music and I love Yacht Rock. (laughs) So I think, I think actually post our, Yarok episode. I think that was a really nice way in for me to Stevie Dan. Yeah, Not that they are yeah. Yarok, but a lot of the elements of Yarok that I really like, the kind of daddiness yeah. of it. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's about it's music. Sorry, of dadness. High Very sorry for saying the word daddy on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is. It's dad jazz. It is. It's, it's dad, dad jazz. jazz. Yeah, it is yeah. dad jazz. It's good. Lots, loads of brass. And what are we? But but two dads, Niall. That's all yeah, we are. Exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> um, there's loads of trumpets and trombones and saxophones. Sometimes there's flute and clarinet. Um, it is music of high fidelity. That's the point. It is music played to the highest standard in the way that you know jazz music often is. But it's music played by people at the very top of their game. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, like in contrast, maybe to, to Yacht Rock, which is mostly about like uh, lost love. They didn't really, Stadion didn't really like sing of love in, in the traditional sense. Yeah, they, I wanted to ask they, you about that. What's their, what's their kind of lyrical oeuvre? Like what, what kind of realms do they tend to out, stay in? Wrote, because like, it's hard to tell from 20 songs, you know, what they kind of. Yeah, I mean, about. mostly about outsiders. They wrote okay. about outsiders. They wrote about losers, stoners, murderers. Low life gamblers, degenerates, delinquents—you know, okay. like that was their that was their oeuvre, mm-hmm. and that's where they came from. Like to say, you know, they have a song called uh, "Deacon Blues," which I'll play later on. It's a song about a self-destructive musician that will drink Scotch whiskey all night long and die behind the wheel. Like their music is full of shine, but they sang about the grit. Mm-hmm. They sang about the grit, and uh, 
So like they started as a band in actually 1967 at a place called Bard College in Annandale in New York, which is a place that's uh, referenced in one of their uh, big songs, which we'll play a bit later on. Um, they were at the time, even then they were like, they were kind of called beatniks by people who were hanging around them and, and who went to college with them. There was a guy called Terence Boylan who said about them that, uh, they remember they weren't the most social of people. They were, uh, he said uh, exactly, uh, they never came out of their room. They stayed up all night. They looked like ghosts, black turtlenecks and skin so white that it looked like yogurt. Absolutely no activity, chain smoking and dope. That's it. Sure. So, uh, I mean, they went to college there. That's where they met. That's where they formed um, after doing some soundtrack work and also selling a song to Barbara Streisand. Um, for one of her albums, yeah. Um, what song? They actually, yeah. So uh, after they left college, uh, yeah, Go. it is called. Uh, I'll play it here. It is called "I Mean to Shine," and it's on her album Barbara Jones Streisand from 1971. I love Barbara Streisand. Yeah, so that's so a, a Barbara Streisand song um, from 1971. Barbara Jones Streisand is the name of the album. That's the one they sold to her, and they wrote that song. And uh, so, how, how, how old that, are they when they sell that song to her? That they're still in college mm, at that stage, are they? I mean, they're just they're just out of college. Okay. So, like, we're talking like maybe 20, 20 yeah, around that age. Yeah, so they did quite well. And then they moved to, um, they moved to California, and that was where everything really started to happen for them. And um, they really became CD Dam. A lot of their music you know, feels like music of of nice weather, of like yachts almost, but like, you know, the sea, mm -hmm. the sun, California, there's a lot of that in it. Um, I'll play here a song, which is uh, the opening track from their very first album called uh, Do It Again. The album's called Can't Buy a Thrill, 1972. And uh, this is a good example.
So that's off their first album. It is called uh, Can't Buy a Thrill from 1972, recorded in Los Angeles in a place called the Studio, the Village Recorder. And um, they hooked a lot, uh, hooked up a lot with a producer called uh, Gary Katz, and uh, he worked with them a long time. Um, but uh, that album contains Do It Again, the likes of Dirty Work, uh, Reel in the Years as well. Um, I think all their albums always had one or two big, big hits, and that's one of the reasons why they've endured as well because like they didn't really have a bad album they had a good run of how many albums did they do i say uh seven albums between 72 and 80 and then two way later on so around this time we're doing the first couple of albums they um they were tasked hard taskmasters perfection seekers the first three albums had a band um but i think it became, you hear actually on Dirty Work, there's a, a another voice singing Dirty Work. It is a guy called David Palmer. So here's a bit of that. So you find yourself somebody who can do the job for free. When you need a bit of love because your man is out of town, that's the time you get me running. So that was Dirty Work. Um, that song, as you can hear there, the vocal was from David Palmer. So uh, the reason that David Palmer sings that song is because originally, uh, like Donald Fagan didn't really want to sing um, live. And so uh, David Palmer did a lot of it. So he ended up singing on that song and many others uh, in terms of back and vocals mostly. But <laughs> essentially during their first ever real tour, uh, Walter Becker and the producer Gary Katz were like, we actually prefer uh, Donald Fagan singing the songs Ouch. than uh, David Palmer. So Palmer was kind of like slowly sho- shoved out. Like he doesn't sing as much on the first album, like Donald, Donald Fagan does, but he did sing live. So he left while they were recording their second album, Countdown to Ecstasy. That album contains songs like My Old School uh, and uh, Showbiz Kids, which we'll talk about later on. Um, it wasn't as commercially sex- successful as their first album. And they weren't happy with some of the performances on the record from the players. So they were blaming, they seem to be blaming the, the band some of the time, which is a bit unfair, but like is, that's is kind of the level band, of where they were at. Um, like session musicians or are these guys they met in college? At this point, they? no, they had a full, they had a proper band. Okay. They were the main drivers, but they had a band who went on tour with them, who played the studio with them. Okay. And then over the course of the next few albums, we're talking like that's Countdown Dexy, 1973, Pretzel Logic, 1974. Uh, and then around that time is when some of the bands basically started to leave because they were being asked less and less to, to do what they were uh, thought they were going to be doing. They were touring less. Um, the band also didn't really want to uh, really uh, play live anymore. So oh. there's a period in 1974 where the band just stopped, li- stopped performing live completely until between 1974 and 1993. So they just didn't do that anymore. And so they, by Pretzel Logic, uh, which is 1974, and Katie Lied, uh, which is uh, 1975, uh, they were really relying on session musicians, the best session musicians that they could ask for. So even around that time, you we talked about, like you kind of tangentially talk about, you know, the guitar solos, like, mm. 
Pretzel Logic has a lot of guitar solos on it and most of their music does because Walter Becker started playing more guitar. And the reason is because they brought in a, a bass player called Chuck Rainey and they were like, well, he, uh, Becker said, I felt there was no real need for me to be bringing my bass guitar anymore because he was so good. So so they really like they work with some of the best session musicians in the business. That is why some of their music really endures. And, and you know, this is, this is high fidelity, well-recorded, well-played music. And, you know, that's kind of leading into the, the jazz uh, element of all this as well. But yeah, so they didn't perform live between 1974 and 1993. Um, and they actually stopped in 1981. So that's kind of like an overall. They came back and reformed it, uh, two albums in 2000 and 2003. And let's play a bit of My Old School from Countdown to Ecstasy. from Countdown to Ecstasy, their second album. Um, and shortly, so I was saying, they stopped actually, they recorded seven albums between two, uh, 1972 and 1980. And then they stopped for a number of years until they re-recorded it. Uh, they picked up again in 2000 and 2003. And then, uh, I mean, they were playing live. They started playing live again, all that kind of stuff. Um, in, well, they played, started playing live again in 1993. But um, so... As I said, my, they were one of my dad's favorite bands. And so I finally got to see him uh, bring my dad to see Steely Dan in 2017 in the three arena at the time. They were playing with the Doobie Brothers um, and uh, it was a double bill kind of thing. So That's it was really great. It was. Uh, yeah. Um, the only weird thing was uh, at the time earlier that year. So that was September 2017. But earlier that year, Walter Becker actually died. Um, he had cancer and he died earlier that year in May. But he had stopped. He'd stopped touring. Um, he actually died. He Sorry, he died in September and the gig was in October. And we were like, is this still going to go ahead? But he'd already stopped playing in May and there's just no stopping. <laughs> Donald Fagan at all so he, he he went on with the gig and so myself and my dad and so a lot of my friends went to see see that and it was just great they're just it was a brilliant gig it was real like leaning into the jazz vibes for sure where was it on? Um, after it was in the three arena okay. um so you know all, a lot of these songs you heard and uh afterwards my dad who had never seen them live before he said I think I can die happy now I was oh. like okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I uh, like for me, I mean, yeah, it starts with my dad, but it also starts with um, like hearing a sam- sample of CD Dan's music in in a, in a in a band that I love. And I probably the first one to start with uh, that makes the most sense is um, well, there's two, there's two, there's 
the one the one that I know first, uh, and the reason for this is because I loved the Super Furry Animals, and they were um, one of my favorite bands growing up. And they had a song out called "A Man Don't Give a Fuck." In God, what year is that? I don't actually know what year. Two thousand one, two thousand four, maybe. Um, anyway, that song is basically built an entirely on a sample of one of the Steely Dan songs called "Showbiz Kids." I'll play a bit of the Super Furry Animals song now. So that they don't give a fuck about anyone else is the sample there that's been just repeated over and over again in the song. And that comes from Steely Dan's Showbiz Kids from the second album, Countdown to Ecstasy. Uh, here is where you'll hear that sample come in. Showbiz kids making movies of themselves. Uh, could be a song about influencers. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> influencers of their day and of ours. Um, but the sample in the uh, Super Animals uh, song is repeated more than 50 times. And at the time, it was claimed to be uh, used the word fuck more than any other song. But apparently, there's an insane clown posse song called Fuck the World, which beats it with 93. Although there is a live version of The Man Who Book that's about 14 minutes long, which beats that as well, because it's just repeated over and over and over and over again. And the other one that was also like very prominent and everyone knows in terms of uh, the sample itself um, is De La Soul. I know from Three, three, three Feet High and Rising. And the sample is here's the here's the De La Soul song. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to bat. It's the daisy age, you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Hip-hop love, this is, and don't mind when I quiz your involvement speak for the sun. But clear your court, cause this a one-man sport, and who's better for this than plug one? Plug don't one. have to worry about me squashing other deals, cause they've already been squished. That is uh, the Steely Dan song called Peg, which you can hear here. I seen your picture. Two samples there. I know I love you better. So it really does form a lot of the basis for a very well-known rap song. And actually, they were a band that were sampled an awful lot in, in rap music, including uh, one of our favorites and uh, MF Doom uh, from Gastrols. So there are two samples on this track uh, called uh, from Gastrols. I re up on bad dreams, back up screens with 50 blocks, be up on mad screens, and he shop like Jiffy Pop. In an instant, get smoked like Winston cigarettes. So this is a sample from Black Cow uh, from Steely Dan. I 
Ah, that's from Asia, which we'll talk about a little bit more uh, later on from the album. Um, Blackout was also sampled by uh, this song, which you may know. Maybe you might not know the name of it, but you'll know the beat. It's uh, Lord Tariq and Peter Guns. It's called Deja Vu. New York to the heart, but got love for all. Lie die in the fire where I learn the ball. Uptown is the place where I lay my dome on the streets of the Bronx. Kind of turned into a very famous, very often used um, uh, kind of beat for a rap. And uh, also for this song from Tatiana Ali. This is one of those cases of like the layer cakes. It's like that song um, credits the Lord Tariq song, which doesn't, you know, it doesn't say Steely Dan, obviously, but okay. like it's funny how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, so also Ice Cube uh, sampled uh, a song from the Royal Scam, which is uh, Steely Dan's like fifth album. Uh, yeah, fifth album from 1976. And uh, the song he sampled is called Green Earrings, which... So you can hear there, this is the Ice Cube track. You can't trust a big butt and a smile. No, that's the old style. And 90- that's from 1992, Ice Cube, Don't Trust Them is what it's called. And uh, where are we going now with the samples? Um, oh, yeah. So obviously, big, who who else but Kanye West has sampled uh, Steely Dan um, for his song uh, Champion. So let's play Champion first. Yes, I did. So I packed it up and brought it back to the crib. Just a little something, show you how we live. Everybody want it, but it ain't that serious. Mm-hmm. That's that. So if you're going to do it, do it just like this. And here's your little sample. Did you realize that you were a champion in their eyes? That song is Kid Charlemagne from uh, the Royal Scam as well. Uh, their favorite of mine. Um, and finally, here's a here's a big pop one actually for you. A from the same album. The track that it samples is called "The Fez" from the Royal Scam. Here it is. You know, you know what that one is. Okay, here's the here's the sampled song or the sampler. You, that is all saints, of course. What I know where it's at. Wow, uh, they really have their fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah, don't they? Yeah, um, I think they're the top line kind of samples. But mm. like, you know, when I realized over time, like how many times they'd been sampled, and and I heard the songs before, I was like, wow, 
they really did endure through throughout the last like 30, 40 years just yeah. by virtue of people picking them up and sampling them and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But then, I mean, they are come, they are come back around. I think one of their, if we talk about their big album, their big album, the one that if you were to point to in terms of, um, I guess, critical appraisal and also a, it's essentially, the album is called Asia, right? A-J-A. It is a true jazz record in lots of ways. It's more jazzy than anything else they really did. It was their, um, sixth album in 1977, but it was also sold millions of records as well. It, and I had three massive hit singles: "Peg," which you heard there, which was sampled by um, uh, De La Soul, uh, a song called "Deacon Blues," which um, you know uh, is one of the, my favorite songs of theirs, and then "Josie" as well. So let's play a bit of "Josie." Closing song from Asia. The album is 40 minutes long, 27 tracks, um, but there are more than 40 musicians listed in the credits to Asia. It's kind of the peak of what they were looking for. Their kind of uh, ultimate uh, goal was like finding the ultimate uh, musicianship. And mm. this is probably the true example of it. But uh, like I said, it had three amazing songs as well in it. And uh, is this the fans' favorite album? Like, I think so. I think it would probably be that. most. Okay. Yeah, I think it's like the the dad jazz's favorite. It's uh, it's the pop critics' favorite probably as well, okay. and it's it's probably the most complete of their mm-hmm. album. But it's also the most jazzy as well. I have a lot of respect so, for seven track albums, forty minutes long. Yeah, in forty out, minutes, pretty good. Get it done. Yeah, um, I'm very happy with that. I have a my. I'll, but before we go on to my personal favorite, I would say, um, Pitchfork as they like to do their retrospective gave this a perfect 10 uh, in a retrospective by Amanda Petrish and her review of the album said and the quote some of it now is uh, Asia is as bold as the records get it's full of strange unprecedented disorientating moves it is braver more idiosyncratic and more personal in some ways than any other record I own Asia is as much as a jazz record as a pop one though in its best moment it's both and neither CD Dan were so expert at fusing genres it's often hard to say which bit came from where, exactly which tradition, fusion, R&B, soul, disco, classical, was being mined or reimagined. Because these songs were rendered so seamlessly, it's easy to overlook how brazen they were. Asia is like driving down a treacherous cliffside road in the most luxurious car ever made. If you sink deep enough into that supple leather seat, it is possible to forget 
entirely about the twists and turns, the threat of looming destruction. It's possible to forget about gravity entirely. So here is Deacon Blues from uh, the album. So yeah, a song about a loser, a down and out, a guy who dies behind the wheel after an alcoholic, perhaps. Uh, Becker later said of the song was about the mythic loserdom of being a professional musician, how glorious it might look from the outside, but how grueling it is in practice. <laughs> so Asia, yeah, Asia, if you were to pick one album to, to probably start with, other than the playlist, which I will share with you as well, um, this is probably the one. Uh, also, like personally speaking, my favorite album from them is one of those ones that uh, is personal to me because it's one of the ones that my dad loves. The album is called Pretzel Logic, um, and it is one of my personal favorites. It, it does have Showbiz Kids on it. It has that. That's the sign of Samba by Super Animals. It's got my old school on it. It's got uh, the title track and Ricky Don't Lose That Number as well. So here is a bit of Pretzel Logic. I love this as well. I'm gonna be a star and make them laugh Sound just like a record on a photograph Those days are gone forever Over a long time ago Oh yeah Hey, hey! I always love that song. It's a real, like, the album is very, it's very vocal. It's very vocal driven, but it also has that lovely kind of like languid, sleepy uh, rhythm to it. I really love that. Um, and their music always played with rhythm and blues and soul as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why they endured so much. Um, and I think because it's so complex a lot of the times and it's not, um, well, here, here, Andrea, as a, as a musicologist, you might appreciate this. So, you know, <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the reasons, like, they're me, I don't tire of their music, and that's because they use a lot of complex arrangements, time signatures, and also chords. So they're known for mm -hmm. the use of their add to chord, mm -hmm. um, which is a type of added tone chord, um, which they nicknamed the Moo Major. 
Other common chords they use were include slash chords. So, you know, these aren't things that are mostly in most musicians' repertoires, um, but they really made the most of it. And I think at their best, when they were able to marry those kind of pop sensibilities with these kind of off-kilter uh, chord progressions that you just wouldn't expect, mm. I think that's one of the reasons for me why they endure musically. I mean, there's a wider question. Is like, why, why are they coming back? Why do they never really go away? Why do they endure? Mm. There's a few different uh, uh, reasons for that, perhaps. Um, why do we like the music of our parents is, is one question. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, so there's a Ringer article called Are You Reliving the Years? How Stevie Dan Became a Cult Favourite for Millennials. Um, so he was asked, uh, Donald Fagan was actually asked in, by this writer, um, why the, this music, his music was coming back for a younger generation, he said, development psychology might figure in. Kids and teens resent the domination of their parents. They begin as hostages to their dad's taste in music. Of course, they hate it. Though in truth, the stuff we wrote used tropes more common to the popular music of their grandpops. As they head into the as they head into middle age, a lot of kids start to forgive their parents. So as the prejudice of their youth crumble a bit. They're free to be a bit more objective about what they hear, or they might even have a subliminal, subliminal sentimental attachment to the sounds they hear in the womb, in the kitchen, in the backseat of their dad's car, or something like that. So that's one example. That's mm-hmm. what, that's what uh, Donald Fagan says to himself. So, you know, and um, this article goes on to say, um, the spirit of Stevie Dan's music, wry and detached, but in, in a way only a true blue bruised optimist can be is one that's uniquely suited to a certain kind of music listener and kindred spirit today its essence is present in nearly all of the discourse around the band the winking acknowledgement of encroaching middle age the sardonic cultural criticism that runs through their discography to an odd almost jealous appreciation of their peerless chops and the lavish perfectionism afforded by a bygone and less stingy era of the music industry and to understand how it's endured for five decades now since their inception 1971 you have to go back to those beginnings when they too were on the outside yearning for something more so they were always the outsiders the outsiders allowed in to play and uh, and make uh, music with their toys uh, in the same article, uh, they were re, uh, a critic called Carla uh, Dibble says they were an unidealistic band at the very end of a very idealistic period. That unidealistic quality probably appeals to their younger fans today. I don't know if that's true. For me, their enduring appeal comes down to one reason. The records are amazing because they all made it sound so effortless mm. and they're just full of fun and hooks. And like, here's another example. Here's the opening track from uh, Pretzel Logic. From called Ricky, don't lose that number. We hear you're leaving, that's okay. I thought a little wild time had just I guess you kind of scared yourself, you turn and run. But if you have a change of heart, Ricky, don't lose that number. You don't want to call nobody else. Send it off in a letter to your So, Andrea, hmm. any questions? <laughs> I think you've been pretty um, thorough in your explanations. Yeah, I think 
you know, I really like the idea of it being some kind of a generational response, I guess, because I suppose rock music or guitar guitar music maybe is more um apt for you know, in terms of a like City Dan. Like that's not really in the charts now either. So I guess when mm. young people and by young people I mean millennials who themselves are I mean there's there are almost middle aged millennials walking walking the earth amongst us. Um but it's I suppose it's it, it's indicative of, of reaching into a back catalogue to fill something that isn't happening at the moment. Like there was mm. a great resurgence of love for ABBA, as we've discussed at length many times on this podcast recently. Um, and I think part of that might be a sort of a back to basics um, mm. kind of time before hip hop and pop music were kind of synonymous with one another and pop was a bit more kind of gleaming and innocent in ways. And I guess here with Steely Dan, you have like, there's definitely a, a renewed interest in jazz from, you know, e- even pop artists and hip hop artists like Kendrick Lamar and the way he uses jazz. And like, and that's been going on here, like in, in Ireland, even with, you know, the colleges. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. But even just kind of more, m- more broadly in pop, I think there's a, there's, there's a much better kind of sense that jazz isn't just you know duke ellington or like stuff that the jazz sock plays it's, it's, it's not this kind of niche thing that knowing and understanding yeah. like jazz harmonies is really you know important and useful for um you know especially guitar players and 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 keys players and through listening through the playlist something that i really liked um was how their reharmonizations, their their I say reharmonizations, they're, they're they're interesting uses of um of chords, they're interesting chord choices based on their melody and how they can kind of shift and change. They they manage to kind of hint towards an instability without ever going over that edge. You can mm. still kind of you it, it, they're always grooving. They never lose the groove. They never lose the inherent sense of what the melody is it's always there as the north star and it lets them kind of play a lot whereas i think when you listen to bad pop music that does similar stuff or as i tend to do or used to do a lot listening to bad reharmonizations of pop songs by jazz musicians on youtube um a lot of them are good, but some of them are bad because it it because you lose what the essence of the song is. Mm. And it's really interesting that a band like Steely Dan, who I think are known, I know for, for me anyway, for people maybe outside of the group, would be known more for their harmonies than their melodies. And I think I was so I I, I was surprised at how at just how many great melodies they've written that it that the mm. harmonies aren't well it, it, it was like you were saying that they are in service like the all, all of the jazz stuff is in service of the song maybe sometimes they go a bit overboard with it or whatever but that's that's their right you know they're they're a jazz band they come from jazz roots that's absolutely fine and, and they've written jazz songs but i think where where i really like them is in that sort of more pulled back hinting towards um other 
other possibilities around the melody. Yeah, that's that's really exciting to me, and I think that that's what kind of keeps them sounding new. Now their instrumentation choices and their arrangements and stuff, absolutely, you could say dates them. Um, not in a bad way, but just you know that that particular sound on the keys yeah. or an organ or 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 whatever it is kind of firmly puts them in this uh like a like a resort rock or something do you know what i mean like you can just <laughs> picture yourself in a really beautiful dress yeah, yeah, yeah. in like the 1970s dancing with a banker and just like having a fabulous time and hoping to be proposed to and, yeah. uh, <laughs> like it definitely has that kind of very i don't know I think you said the word languish earlier, which I think is a really nice um, way to describe what it feels like to kind of like seep into their music and just sort of, you know, forget your troubles while also being exposed to very complex um, harmonies and um, incredible playing. Um, and I like yeah. the songs of theirs I like the most are the ones where, A, I, I love their guitar solos i think like they've got some tremendous just runs of guitar solos but be just the songs where you don't really notice it happening that you have to kind of tune your ear into it to realize like oh that's that's a melody that would have suited like you know one particular kind of chord progression but they haven't gone for that at all they put in these yeah these kind yeah. of you know, i mean they do switch those things yeah yeah, yeah. so I, that's that's what i like about them but I could also understand if somebody didn't like that sort of thing, that they would hate Steely Dan. <laughs> I think that that's fair, too, because I think there are people out there who are just like, no, not that band is not Absolutely, for me. Absolutely, I get it. Not get for it. me. And I think that maybe that might be why, um, that it, it's maybe seen as like an overcomplication of good melodies. Um, but I don't feel that way. I, I actually think that they serve their melodies very well. Um, it's, a, yeah, it's a bit show-offy, but I think that, you know, I think rock yeah. music should be. A little bit show-off. It is. Yeah, it, for yeah, sure. We don't mind that. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think they're like, a, a all the complex stuff is wrapped up in such nice, easygoing, yeah. like, not easy listening, but easygoing melodies and yeah. hooks that you're like, it doesn't really matter what weird chord they're using or anything like that. It's just, they make it work so well yeah. and they make it sound, it goes down so easy because it's like, there's, they know exactly what mm. they're doing. And it's interesting and it because, so because you get these sort of, um, different chords, like the, the, the kind of stuff that, um, that Sidon does with their harmonies. You, you get that in the easy li listening genre. Um, funnily enough, like you, you get that a lot in that. Um, so I, it's not that there's a crossover, but it's just interesting that you that you that you use that term and said that they're not that. When I think that maybe there's, there like their impact on that genre, is probably something that is, um, you know, not to be overlooked mm. at, at at the same time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, look, that's a bit. That's a fairly big overview of CD9. I think if you've got this far, you've done really well. I enjoyed and, it uh, very you, much. You clearly have interest. Um. Uh, from us anyway it's patreon.com forward slash 909 if you're interested in supporting us and uh, uh, indulging us in continuing to doing uh, episodes like this but other than that I have some asides for you um, in their lyrics the band often uh, name checked uh, drinks they were 
typical uh, a lot of drinks <laughs> mentioned in their songs here's a list of drinks mentioned in their songs rum and cokes in daddy don't live in that new york city no more pina coladas and bad sneakers zombies and haitian divorce black cows and black cow scotch whiskey what's a black blue. cow i don't is know we'll find out. it is an ice cream float <laughs> yummy there you go I didn't know <laughs> oh, that. that's cute um, <laughs> okay a retina uh, in home at last i don't know what a retina is what's a retina Let's have a look. Oh, it's a oh, it's a Greek white wine. Greek white resonated wine. There you go. Man um, of the world. Grapefruit wine in FM. Cherry wine in Time Out of Mind. Cuervo Gold in Hay 19. Uh, is that a tequila? Yes, it is. Uh, Kirsch Washer from Babylon Sisters. Here's, that's a German brandy kind of made from cherries. There you go. Um, and Tanqueray in Lunch with Gina. A nice gin. Cuban Breeze, uh, and, and actually a solo uh, track from Donald Fagan, and Margaritas and Everything Must Go. Um, so loads of things. And do you know where their band name came from? No. I mean, that's the thing that maybe people found out way later that they were like, oh. Mm. No, I always so, assumed it was um, like ste- steely, like a, like a guitar tone or something, but no idea. You would think, yeah. and you would think it's like named after a guy. No, it actually is taken from uh, William S. Burroughs' novel Naked Lunch and a revolutionary steam-powered dildo that is what the steely dan is yeah. I've, I've, well so. i say red naked lunch i tried to read naked lunch. it's very yeah. good well, there but you. i don't remember the steam-powered dildo so i must have got too far yeah well that's <laughs> called the steely dan so there you go um kind of subversive at the time to be called steely dan and yeah uh, called after dildo uh, in the 70s yeah. so there you go like the um, arab strap thing yeah, yeah 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 exactly um and one of the band's earlier iterations were called the bad rock group and they <laughs> featured future comedic actor chevy chase on drums there you go oh, and of gosh, course yeah. and let's and have a listen call me all star music really yeah star. let's have a listen to tony Sparrow singing dirty yes, work i'm a fool to do your dirty work go yeah I mean, in a show full of hits, oh. it's one of the best scenes in it as well. <laughs> so good. <laughs> some other things, some other Steely Dan things of interest. There is a VH1 classic albums uh, on YouTube that I've never watched, which I must watch. I point. love those VH1 it's all there. classic albums. Yeah. Episodes. There's one on Asia, so um, they're their most adored album. Um, on Twitter, if you want to, uh, people dancing to Steely Dan Twitter account, which is Steely Dance, which is what I got have the name for the across that before. Spotify. And I have a funny feeling yeah. that you might have retweeted. Def- definitely, okay. <laughs> I, I went through last last year, and then there's a good Steely Dan takes, which is a Twitter account as well. Oh. Uh, Twitter.com for slash bad Dan takes. And as they once tweeted, the band holds up better now than it ever did in the 70s because uh, we are all suburban losers dreaming of something meaningful now. Oh, that's so that beautiful. Is Steely Dan. Um, and we'll, we'll leave it there. So here's a, here's a blast of Peg. Okay, that is our Steely Dan episode. Uh, Andrea, thanks so much for humoring me this week. Thank you for really all of your, your research and your feelings. Um, I loved it. Thank you so much. I actually did get to listen to every Steely Dan album um, this week. Wow. 
So that okay. that was something that was very enjoyable. Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, they're not all. They're not all. Uh, what hits, are those when, two albums that they recorded later in their career like? Um, honestly, I can I can't get into them. Okay. Um, they two against nature, I think, because it's the Grammys. They won a Grammy for best like rock album at that time oh, or wow. something like that. So everyone That's was in just the like, "What?" Nineties was it? Two thousand and two thousand and three. One of those won okay. a, a a Grammy. Fuck the yeah, strokes. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> although. In the course of looking up uh, the samples and stuff, I kept coming across a a song from The Strokes uh, from Angles, actually, which is called uh, Gratisfaction, isn't it? Gratisfaction, mm. which has been, uh, I think, uh, miscategorized on who sampled as mm. a sample of Reeling in the Years. But actually, yeah. it just sounds a bit like the guitar tone is very similar. Yeah, That's what maybe it is, if it came out today, it would be a kind of a songwriting credit tacked on at the end yeah exactly exactly yeah. yeah it's only a very slight bit but you can hear what does sound like a sample but i think it's really just the exact same guitar tone which makes sense to me um cool. yeah they uh they 2000s album two against nature won a best engineered album non-classical best pop vocal album and best pop performance by duo or group with vocal as you do the um, big so, ones yeah that is the big ones, the big ones. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, isn't it nice not to be talking about the Grammys? That well, much? I was just about <laughs> to say to you, did you hear that about the Oscars um, that they're they're not going to be showing some of the um, some of the awards, the categories oh, really? on doing that again. TV, um, oh. including like makeup and hairstyling, best editing, like some really big ones. I can't remember what the other ones are. Wild. Didn't they start doing that like recently? But also they've done it more and more. Yeah, and more. they do it. They do it in the Grammys a lot as well. They don't do like best Latin album or whatever. They don't. They don't show yeah. that. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, the year the Fontaines were for the Grammys like two years ago, mm. and it was announced way before the actual ceremony or the on the day on the night, but it was like an hour or two before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some other ceremony. Yeah, so yeah, they're all at it. They're all at it. Are, but listen, is Hollywood at it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously the other thing in terms of, uh, I don't know if they're still around, but there was a a, a prominent covers band, Steely Dan covers band called Asia, who used to play in uh, Smiths all the time. Uh, Smith. I think they're still around. Oh, and I if think, they're still around, um, I I would like for us to go to one I of know, those. I've been meaning to do it for ages. I'll, I ages. will definitely come along. I actually, like, I absolutely love cover, covers bands. Like I, it's <laughs> yeah. just it's something I genuinely enjoy spending my time at. Like there used to be, like I used to go see a Fleetwood Mac one in, in Dundalk when I lived there for a few years. Like I've been trying to, like I'm just hoping that someone will set up a good ABBA one at some stage soon. I love covers yeah, bands because yeah. they really try to do. Have you it seen right, any of the uh, ABBA cover bands? No, never. No? no, I mean like there's Bjorn again. Bjorn again played like not too long ago. Oh yeah, um, like in. They played the Olympia. I think you so. should do a gig guide for the covers bands out there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I tend to leave them out most yeah. of the time. Um, <laughs> well, if there's no, any good ones, let me know. I, an Oasis cover band, I, that's usually well, what it is. No, I draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> if I want an Oasis cover band, I'll just walk through Temple hey. Bar at 12 o'clock on a Thursday. Like, the Workmans are hosting an all night uh, uh, Oasis night this weekend. I remember seeing. <laughs> so uh, if you drop into the Workmans, there'll club be a lot of those um, see... the brown shoes and the wide, you know, flared yeah. jeans. I can't remember what they're called. Oh, it's on Friday. It's called uh, Madford. 
the Oasis Club. If you can't make it to Denise Tyler, you know where to go. It's afterwards. It's afterwards. <laughs> oh, sweet. <So> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely where Denise is going to go for the after party as well. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. All right. That's it from us this week. Yeah. We've got thanks the choice Andrea, next thanks week, for me. Um, which no. I don't think we're doing an episode on, but we might talk about it. No, we never got around to doing that, did we? Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have a chat about it yeah. next weekend. Yeah, uh, it, honestly, uh, it completely make some predictions. snuck up on me. Like, absolutely. Um, can't believe it's next week. Can't believe we get to go. Very excited. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see you next week for something else. Yeah, great. Bye. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.